You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys Podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Benjamin Hall from Benjamin Hall Audio. <laughs> yes. Do you it's still weird. feel compelled to say Dream Loud Studio? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah. We've been saying it for so long. I do. Probably BenjaminHallAudio.com is going to go live in a month here. Ooh. Yeah. Are, are you, so you're not going to just transfer your existing site? You're going to actually build from scratch? No, I'm I'm kind of doing a transfer thing, but I'm going to keep both sites live. It's a little complicated. Oh, okay. I'm not and I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do because I have not a ton, but a few awesome reviews on like Google and people know where to find my website. So, I'm just wondering like, you know, going forward, do I keep the Dreamlot Studio stuff like just there so people know that it's this is the physical loca- location where Benjamin Hall does his producing? Kind of, so I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do as far as that goes. So I see. I'm just going to run things simultaneously until I figure that out. Yeah, there's a couple options that I think you have. That's not a bad idea, though. Is, you know, Dream Loud Studio could still be a thing. Maybe you get eventually, if you grow enough, maybe you get other people that work out of Dream Loud Studio. Yeah. Or another option is you just do like a domain redirect where like dreamloudstudio.com takes you to Benjamin Hull audio.com or whatever which is kind of the way it's set up now any anyways that's more yeah. infor- that's more information than most people needed to know but <laughs> yeah that's what's we'll, going we'll on in the background out, but <laughs> yeah well, that's cool cool yeah well let's get into our episode here so this is our uh, we've been talking about doing an episode on room setup as i'm still not finished with my room setup but you know what i thought that was perfect to discuss yes <laughs> my initial thought was like i'm gonna finish the room completely i'm gonna have my nice photos of it and we'll be able to talk through everything but that's not how life works it's it's no. a messy process nothing is ever finished all the way so we thought we'd just dive into it and talk about room setup this episode i'm gonna throw out a lot of different resources and links and things so check the show notes if you want access to those links There's a lot of really cool free resources um for some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today great so to start I guess the first question when you're when you're setting up a room or you're going to be setting up a space to work on music is which room do you set up in? You know, and and I think um I think for most of us it's probably not so much of a choice because yeah. we probably have just the one room <laughs> in our house that <laughs> that nobody's using and nobody will mind if if we set up. Uh what was your situation? How did how did you settle on the room that you're in? So I had more of a choice um, because, well, now I live with my wife and two dogs and two cats, so less of a choice now. But when I first moved into this place, it was just me. And although it's a very tiny house, it's segmented into a kitchen, three very tiny bedrooms, a living room, and an unfinished basement. So I kind of had my choice of like, three different rooms of where where to work out of and I don't even know if I necessarily know why I chose this room I'm trying to think back because that was that was like a good four or five years ago I think it was 
Honestly, I think it was because it was the only room that had nothing in it. And so it was a nice <laughs> there, and, and there so you go. yeah, so it was a nice like um uh clean slate to work from. Uh but it also wound up being the probably the most convenient room in the house to to build it in anyways. So that was that was kind of my situation. So a very DIY approach of like all right, this makes the most practical sense. Let's just build the studio in here. Yeah, well, that that's that's where we're going to go next is like, what are the considerations? So you said it ended up being, what did you say, the most It was basically the, or the most? Yeah, the most accessible and um, least amount of things in it because I moved, I moved into a house that already had furniture there. So okay. the alternative would have been I had to move furniture all around through my house if I wanted to build it in any other room, essentially. Right, okay. So that's a good one. I actually, I'm going to add that to our list of considerations here for when you're choosing a room, how much stuff is already in that room? How yeah. much work is it going to take you to, to get it set up? Um, some other things are, you know, size. So is it, is it a room that's big enough for your needs? So where will everything go? And there's um, a great tool that I used. I found, uh, I'm going to again, link to it in the show notes. It's called uh, roomplanner.com. It's mm. even for even if you have very minimal experience with like CAD program, it's just a nice little drag and drop editor where you can put in the dimensions of your room, length, width, height, and then you can drop in blocks like a desk and a chair and a table. And you can build, like I built little blocks for my acoustic panels. And I kind of just laid everything out because what I found is that it's kind of difficult to gauge the size of a room. An empty room always looks bigger than it is, I yes. feel like. Once there's stuff in it, the way it looks changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to kind of picture. You might think, like, I'm going to put my desk here, but will it fit? You know, so doing a little bit of layout work is is nice. Um, the shape of the room. The shape of the room is important as well, depending on what you're going to do there. Uh, you may want to use something like a room mode calculator, which is, uh, there's online calculators, and again, I'll link to one, uh, but they can give you kind of an idea of what problem frequencies you might have, especially in the low end, based on standing room modes. If you remember our episode with Yesco, Acoustics 201 was the name of the episode. Uh, We talked a lot about that, how a room, he used the analogy of a room being like a bell, when you're playing music in it, certain frequencies will kind of cause the room to ring. Mm-hmm. Those are your standing room modes. They can be problematic. So you can kind of get ahead, although to be honest, it's probably not going to change your decisions. It might change your treatment plan a little bit. Some other things that I've realized setting up this room that I needed to consider are storage. Like where's your stuff going to go? Where's your yeah. mic locker going to go when it's not in your trench coat right, <laughs> that you're wearing? Um your cables, where your cables going to go, your guitars and so on. What other storage things would you need to consider, Ben? So one unique thing for me, and it actually it kind of worked out perfectly, is I record drums in my basement. And so I had to find a way to get a, a snake to get to my basement uh, without leaving doors open, essentially. Ooh, yeah. And... The unique answer was I drilled a probably a six to eight inch wide hole d- directly through my floor in my closet that's right over here. And it worked nice. perfectly because it drops down. I can drop the snake down 
pretty much directly where my drums are set up in the basement. So yeah, that that was a super super helpful solution because let's let's talk about the alternative. If my studio was on the opposite side of the house, then I would have to figure out a way to drop a snake down there, have the snake be long enough to either run a wire through or run the snake cable through my basement or run the cable through my house somewhere to drop <laughs> to mm-hmm. drop it closer to the to set and I'm I'm just glad that I had the one the permission from my landlord to drill a hole through the floor because I don't own the house <laughs> and uh, yeah second just the logistics of it worked right that's great that's a great point so proximity to let's call it the live room like yeah, exactly. where are you going to track things if you're going to be tracking drums where are you going to be tracking to them in relation to to the room uh, another thing that i was thinking about based on again previous experience setting up other rooms visitors people i have over to work in the studio how are they going to get into the room and can it can i do it in a way that they don't have to walk through my entire house <laughs> that right? is it that's a huge one again, man i mean possible. so for my for my situation like i i do recording at my house so when they come in they they come into my kitchen, which is kind of a great meeting area because I can offer people like water or coffee and we can just mm. hang out and talk there is normally what we do. And yep. then it's just a straight shot down the hallway to my studio. Um, yeah. And then you make a right, you could get into the living room, which is another great hangout area. So it works for me, but I've been to other home studios where you you go in and you're going to be doing recording, but you have to awkwardly walk through the living room where the wife is watching Seinfeld on the TV and she doesn't even acknowledge you because there's been so many bands that have come in and out. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I don't want to be, this is awkward. I don't want to be an inconvenience. I can tell that like somebody else is living in this space. And so yeah. it wound up being, it wound up being fine, but it is definitely a consideration to be had when you're having people come into your place. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Another one is uh, proximity to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, again, you're going to have a probably a bathroom for long sessions. We talk about it takes, you know, eight hours to do anything <laughs> when yeah. you're making a song. People are going to have to use the, the restroom. How are they going to get there? So these are all things to consider if you have the option. Another one is HVAC um, for a number of reasons. One is noise. So... In my old studio space, actually, I was right near where the my my control room effectively was right near like where the the air conditioning air handler was. That yeah. thing is loud. So when I recorded vocals, I would have to get the room really cold and then stop the AC and then you know record the vocals until the room got too hot and then take a break and run the AC again because you can't have so the, the microphones picking up that noise. Yeah. I do the same exact thing actually um, for drums in particular because the HVAC is is in the basement, and so right. I have to turn it off when I'm recording drums, or else those would be picked up in the room mics. Um, so that's one thing. Yeah. Um, even with vocals, sometimes I'll just turn off the HVAC because just the the air blowing through the vents is sometimes too much. Noise. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, it yeah it's definitely a consideration. But other times, like I won't worry about it. Like if I'm recording guitars through a loud cab i don't i don't worry about it because the the noise is right. so much lower than the volume of the guitars so 
it's not like you have to be, you know, I've even seen like whenever I first, I'm glad that you're talking about this because when I first was building my studio, I was so concerned about noise from computer fans or from hard yes. drives. And I remember people talking about, you know, friends of mine that are into recording, talking about building a soundproof box to put their computer tower inside and looking back on it now, I'm like, that is just such a ridiculous solution and kind of a bad solution because for your computer to run um, optimally, you want airflow because electronics overheat. So you're encasing your computer inside acoustic absorbers, which capture heat <laughs> and make it hotter yeah. and reduce airflow. Absolutely. So especially with modern computers, the fans and stuff are so quiet you really don't have to worry about it at all. Good point. And that was two other things with related to HVAC uh, mm. is uh, just just whether the room has access to any HVAC for purposes of temperature control and humidity control. So we talked about um, you know the importance of maintaining a proper humidity level, and on our episode with um, was it Westmoreland String Shop. Oh yes, uh, Joe Golden. Joe Same. Golden, yes, uh, talked about the importance of maintaining somewhere right around that 50% humidity mark. How are you going to do that? In fact, right now I'm in this space, now that it's cold and the heat is on, my humidity level is very low. It's 34% right now, and I've actually ordered a humidifier for this room, so something I want to be aware of because I, I haven't put my guitars out yet, but they're in here, at least a couple yeah. of them, so I need to be careful there. And then... Um, Another consideration in the room is wall materials. Um, mm. Again, I had this problem in my old room where it was my, my control room was in the basement. Some of the walls were drywall, which you can you can work with to hang panels on and treatment. But one of the walls was like a basically like almost like a concrete wall. It was it's difficult to hang stuff in concrete. Not impossible, but you have to plan for it. But I opted instead of drilling into that wall. I opted for just building floor stands and like uh, having my panels be freestanding. So these are just things you have to you have to uh, consider. Right. Your ability to adapt to whatever room you have to work in is greater than you think. Like it's not <laughs> it's it's not going to make or break it. As an example, this one producer that I like, Jordan Valeriat, that I follow, he was talking recently about um, his space that he does all his mixing out of now is just an office room in his house with zero, with NS10s and zero acoustic treatment on any of his walls. And he makes I've, like yeah. the best stuff that he considers now. And it's just because he's acclimated his ears to his room. So you, you can make anything work exactly. for sure. The options, if you have them, they're nice things to think about. If you don't have them, it doesn't mean you have to like knock down walls and rebuild things. It would you be, will find a way. So I'm glad you're doing this episode, though, too, because I'm definitely going to reference it when I have to move out of here. Because for me, and I mentioned this maybe one or two episodes ago, I like learned how to do mixing and audio in this very room that I'm in. So I kind of, <laughs> yeah. I kind of built from the ground up here and made this room work for me. And it would be, it's going to be different to go into a different room to try to design it to be ideal. Uh, later in this episode, I'll get into you know some of the the challenges that I ran into and that I still have and how I'm dealing with them. So mm. some some practical stuff there as well. All right. So once you have your room identified, one of the first things you want to do is figure out where your listening position is going to be in that room. 
And again, some of this is a matter of convenience. So you have things like doors and windows and closets to contend with. So obviously those types of room features are going to maybe limit where you can and can't be. But all things being equal, a couple things to think about. One is you'll hear if you if you search online, there's this it's called a 38% rule, the rule of thumb. Are you familiar with this? Yep. I think that's exactly it's, how I built my listening position in this room. Yeah, and it, it, it comes with a big caveat. So what the, what that rule is, is it's saying most rooms are rectangular. So if you have a rectangular room, you're probably going to want to be uh, facing with your your front front to back is along the longer axis of the room, the yes. longer side of the rectangle. You want to be centered in that space from left to right because that's going to be your stereo imaging. So you want equal amount of space on your left-hand side as on your right-hand side. For how far into the length of the room you are, people you hear this number of either 38% away from a wall or 62% away from the wall, which is basically just saying the same point from the front wall or the back wall, right? Mm -hmm. Same distance, 38% or 62%. The reason for that is just mathematically that averages out to be an acceptable compromise on room modes. So picture if you're 50% into the room, right in the middle, that's going to be where you have the most trouble with these standing waves inter interacting with each other, canceling and boosting each other. And so you're going to have some frequencies that seem to disappear with big dips. Some frequencies are going to be boosted way too high. So you hear this number 38 or 62%, and that is a good rule of thumb. Mm. But it doesn't have to be at this point. And in fact, I'll reference Yesco here, and I'm actually going to include the link. Yesco has something he calls... So Yesco, again, is Yesco Lohan from Acoustics Insider. We we had him on the podcast. He's a great guy, and he makes fantastic content on acoustics. I highly recommend yes. it. He's got this thing he calls the Bass Hunter Technique, which I actually tried. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go to it, and he's got a free PDF you can download, which I did. And I tried this in my room as well. What, what it basically is is you take one of your speakers, and you put it right in the corner. Mm-hmm. Like the worst spot is the corner speaker in the corner is going to amplify some low end. And then you take your slidey chair, <laughs> you start playing a track and you just slide back and forth along the long axis of the room. And you'll hear, you'll notice how the bass response changes. And he's saying, forget the measurements, forget the, forget everything. He's just saying, this is like a tried and true technique. You just find a place along that long axis where the bass response seems not overhyped and not disappeared and that is your that is a good candidate for a listening position mm. so in my experience i did both i did find that the best the best bass response for me was about a foot away from the door oh <laughs> my door is in the back wall right my door is on the back wall almost 50 percent of the way into the room so when i open the door and i walk in if i take one step in that's where my bass response, I was like, yeah, that's what I want. But of course, I can't be there. I can't put my desk against that door because I can't get into the room. And I can't be sitting that far against the door either. My second best option was right around that 38% from the front wall. And so mm -hmm. that's what I ended up going with. Although I'll show you later in this episode what my room looks like, which nobody ever does. And we'll talk about that as well. And I have a, I still have a big problem in my low end, which I'm 
dealing with. And I think I've, I've found some acceptable solutions there. So that's one way is um, to listen to your reference tracks. Just put on some music and slide along that long axis of the room, see what sounds best. You could also try listening to sign sweeps, which uh, again, I'll link below to a free resource that has uh, low frequency sign sweeps where it just plays um, increasing frequency starting from you know 20 hertz up and you can use you can play those tones and slide back and forth and see uh, where a good compromise spot is. You got any other tips on on finding a sweet spot for listening? I think I did very I think I did very similar things when I was setting up this room. I'll also say that I have a sub in my room. I don't believe you Ooh, have yeah. a sub, correct? I do not. So with a sub, it doesn't matter nearly as much where you place a sub in the room. Like it's going to have the same kind of response with, you know, with a caveat. Like, I guess if you have your sub closer to a wall, you might get more bass response and you might, you might like that or not, but you have some more flexibility with like where you're placing a sub in your room. I don't know about that. I think the sub placement is actually pretty important, I thought. Hmm, interesting. I, I don't know a lot about it because I, I again I don't have a sub, but my, I always heard for like home studio or uh, home theater setups, what you did is you you find your listening position first, then you put your sub in the listening position and you walk around the room to find the where the bass response is the most honest. And that's where you put the sub. Oh, okay. Where you were standing, right? So you kind of flip. You put the sub in your spot, and then you find the spot for the sub to be by walking around while it's playing. No, I agree with that. I, I think that's kind of what I meant, but like that's that's the way to go about placing a sub. I guess all I'm saying is that <clears throat> with the speaker position, it pretty much like has to be in that equilateral triangle from where your listening yes. position is. Whereas with the right. sub, you have some flexibility as to it doesn't have to go directly between your legs underneath your underneath your desk. Like mine is off to the right. side a little bit. That's a great point. Yeah, the, the considerations are different. And this is this gets back to the way sound travels in a space. So we've talked about this before when you're walking by like a club, what you hear is the bass because bass frequencies have a, a easier time traveling through space and traveling through complex geometry. And what that translates to is they're less directional. So even if you even if your sub is off in the left corner, you can't tell that really that it's off in the left corner. Mm -hmm. You just hear sub because we're bad at placing low frequencies. Whereas high frequencies, we're very good at placing where they're coming from directionally. Part of that is also because they don't travel well through complex geometry. So yeah, that that's we are gonna that's jumping ahead a little bit. Okay, because we are gonna talk about that next. Um, but yeah, so once you find your, uh, your listening position, I, I'll tell you another cool thing that happened to me while I was playing reference tracks, walking around my room and I found this one spot against the, the back wall I'll show you, you here where I wasn't expecting it, but right there's my back corner with my panels Uh huh. and you can see the H HVAC vent on top of that. That's where my heating and cooling comes in. And right in between that panel and that guitar, the bass response is just awesome. And so <laughs> what I what I decided to do was put a, I'm, I haven't bought it yet, but I'm gonna put a little love seat there, so oh, nice. people can come listen to, you know, a session. They can sit and just get awesome bass response. So it's like a little Easter egg I found in my room that just I wasn't expecting it, but it happened to work out. That's awesome. 
Yeah. So I use masking tape on my floor, actually. You want to do this hmm. listening position check with an empty room if possible. You want the problems of the room to be magnified. So before you do any treatment, and I just use masking tape literally to mark my where my listening position was going to be. Then I taped out where my desk was going to be. And that's how I did that. So then once you have your listening position, like Ben was saying, now you can figure out where your speakers are going to go. So tell us about the uh, speaker positioning strategy, Ben. So basically, when you're sitting in your, your listening position and you're looking straight ahead where you're... Mo uh, not audio monitor, but where your screen monitor would be. You want both of your speakers that you're listening to to be uh, an equilateral triangle. Um, basically, the, the points of an equilateral triangle are going to make up the position of your head and where your speaker cones are going to be on either side of you. That's the ideal position. So... Um, and along with that, you, there's some considerations as far as like, you don't want your speakers too close to a wall. And I've had to do some interesting playing around with that <laughs> as, as we'll get into, but yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So right in a perfect world, you have an equilateral triangle, which is a triangle where all the sides are the same length or the, the same length basically. And so the equilateral triangle has each each uh, angle of the equilateral triangle is 60 degrees. So you can do this. The way I did it, it was... Um, show you. I have this old school carpenter's snapping ruler. Oh, nice. Yes. So what I did was I took a microphone stand and I moved my chair out of the way and I just, based on where my mark was, you know, my, my masking tape mark, I put a microphone stand um, in my listening position. And then actually before I even did that, I sat in my chair and I measured the distance from my ear to the floor. So if, if you're not watching, if you're listening to this on YouTube, I'm, I'm showing, <laughs> I'm showing <laughs> some of this stuff. So now I know my distance, um, from the ears to the floor and I put my microphone stand basically. So it's like in the center where the center of my head would be. Yeah. Right. And then I, now I can measure the distance from that microphone stand to the left monitor, to the right monitor, and between the monitors, and you just make little tweaks, little adjustments to try and get that equilateral triangle where all the sides are the same. That's going to give you the best, most honest uh, stereo image. And in the show notes, there's another link where there's um, a stereo image test file that just plays um, white noise or pink noise, but it basically plays just left channel, just right channel, center channel, and then it plays the just the side channels. And what you should hear, if you have this done this setup correctly, it's a very cool effect, is something that's panned center, like a mono source that's panned center, will sound like it's coming out of your, your screen, your yeah. computer screen, which is amazing because it, it, the illusion is so real if you get it set up right that you don't, it doesn't sound like it's coming from, oh, the sound is coming from the left speaker and the right speaker. It sounds like it's coming right out of the middle, even though there's no sound source there. Yeah. That's what you want. Exactly. So the other reason the height is important is because, as we mentioned, we are pretty sensitive to the directionality of high frequencies. So you want the height of your speakers to be such that the tweeters, the smaller speakers, 
um, have direct line of sight or at the same either at the same height as your eardrums or the speakers are angled in such a way that if you were to draw a straight line from the tweeter, it would intersect with your ears. In a perfect world, that's how you would have it. Yeah, that I think that goes against people's like natural intuition because you want to put the big speaker right at right at ear level, yeah. but that's actually not true. And you can do that. You could do that test if you're in front of any speaker that's like a like a bookshelf speaker that has the tweeter and the and the mid range driver separate. If you just stand a couple feet away and just move your head up and down, like the the definition from the high frequencies is going to be so drastic, the change between them. And and that will just show you why it's so important to have your ear right at the tweeter level. Yes, absolutely. You can, especially for me, like with high gain guitars, like the fizzier high gain guitars, you move your head up and down in, from, from that sweet spot, you can tell that the character of the guitars can change. And that, that could be mm. due to a couple of things that we'll talk about, but certainly a big one is um, is the height of those tweeters. Now, another trick is, and I consider this as well, although I, I couldn't do it for reasons maybe I'll get into, maybe not, we'll see. But basically, sometimes you can, if, if your your speakers are, they have to be higher, there's no way to, to get around it, you can put your speakers on their sides to align the tweeters closer to your ears, or even you could put them upside down um, mm, never and thought have of that. the tweeters closer to your ears. I couldn't do either of those things for you can see my 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 monitors my my speakers are these neumann kh120s they have this cool um this is like an audio lens shape around it and so they're really designed to be vertical you can't put them on their side uh. and the cables come in the bottom of them so if they were upside down there would be cables coming out the top and i i didn't really want that so i had to do a couple of other things which we'll talk about so yeah, that's anything else on speaker placement. We talked a little bit about sub placement already. Yeah, anything so on, you can think I'll talk of about practicality with my room. My my desk is just an IKEA desk. Still, it's not like a it's not a studio desk, so it's a little bit it's a little bit of a narrow desk. And the issue that I started running into was kind of this equilateral triangle placement of um, my. My seated position is the perfect listening position, but to have that equilateral triangle, I would have had to move my speakers in too far, and I physically couldn't get them there with just the dimensions of my. Because um, you have two monitors, right? You have yeah, dual monitors. I have two monitors. Yeah. Uh, but even with the desk, I couldn't move them in close enough to get a tight triangle. And the alternative was to make a a larger triangle with speakers farther away, and then I would be either behind my visual monitors or too close to the wall. So just for dimension sake, like I can't like get a perfect equilateral there. The speakers are a little bit too wide. And so like, I'm a little bit aware of that whenever I'm mixing that my stereo image might be skewed a little bit wider. And that's why I use references. And I also reference on headphones too, but it still right. works. And that's a good example of, yeah, that's a good example of just making do with it. I, it this is all we're talking ideal state. Yeah. Um, another ideal thing you mentioned is you want your your really your speakers to be more than or no closer to the back wall or to a wall than like three feet or one meter roughly. And again, that's just to not get like a weird accentuated bass response. Minor 
probably within that because I again I had no choice. This was the listening position yeah. I had to have. My desk is so and such and such big, and this the the speakers are where they are. So now you have your listening position, you have your speaker position. It's time to come up with your acoustic treatment plan. And again, do you have to have one? No. Yesko actually just did a video on this as well. I haven't watched it yet, but he talks about what you talk about with Jordan, which is mixing in an untreated room. There's certainly people that do it. There's certainly ways to do it. I did it for a long time before I knew anything about acoustic treatment, but I can tell you <laughs> now knowing about it, it's much more fun to be in a room that's acoustically treated. Just for, I agree. for just the joys of listening to get that tight room response is just, it's a pleasurable environment to to work in so i do recommend it i do too okay so for acoustic treatment plan uh, th this can be a two-hour thing in and of itself but it'll just give you some some rough guidelines the thing you want to worry about first is the first reflection point so these are the points where you take a mirror and you're sitting in your listening position if you move, have some, have a friend move the mirror across your wall or your ceiling or any surface that's going to reflect sound, when that mirror is in a place where you can see one or the other speaker in the mirror, that's a first reflection point. You definitely want to treat at a minimum your first reflection points, including, if you can, the ceiling. Those first reflection points are going to be the most problematic for creating frequency distortions and, and mm. kind of changing the, the color of things. So you can see like this kind of the get out of the way there. Mm, yes. That's my first reflection point there. And then I have um, two kind of behind my computer monitor, my visual monitor there. I have on the back wall, I have the cloud above. And then I actually didn't have this right away, but on my back first reflection points, Oh, nice. I got some nice art panels, which I, I didn't have at first. And I thought, maybe I won't even treat the back wall. Maybe I'll just keep it the way it was. What I found was I would listen to like a vocal track. I could hear like a little bit of a slapback effect. And I actually at first thought it was in the recording. But then listened to it in my headphones. And I, and I realized, no, this is my room. That slapback is in my room. And it must be from my untreated back reflection point which is tricky because i have the door there but anyway treating that definitely helped eliminate that effect hmm so treating those first reflection points is is very important i have first reflection points on my left and right i have two clouds which i also consider first reflection points it's basically yep. the reflection and the reason i have two clouds is because i couldn't get one to fit the space of where each monitor would be reflecting off of the ceiling and coming back to my ears. Mm. Uh, and then I have the just two corner panels that are catty corner on, on either side in front of me. And that kind of serves a dual purpose because it's, a, it's corner base treatment, but it's also reflection from the speaker monitors going into that corner and coming back. So... Right. I, I could have and I forego having any treatment on my back wall because I don't really I don't really need it. I don't notice like a slapback effect like you're talking about. And mm -hmm. um, also just the physicality of I have a futon where clients sit and there wouldn't be enough room to have corner panels 
a futon and have access to the room because it's a tight room. Yep. So I just decided to forego the treatment because it works for me. This is exactly where I was going to go next. After you have the first reflection points, the wall-to-wall corners are nice low-hanging fruit for helping the base response of your room. And the, the reason is, as Yesco talks about um, all the time on his channel, but basically these uh, most of the treatment we use, whether it be foam or fiberglass, rock wool, whatever, stone wool, um, these treatments work to absorb velocity, not yeah. pressure. And so you want, if you, if you increase the gap between the absorber and the reflection surface, you can actually get lower frequencies being absorbed. Right. Because at the wall, the velocity, if you think about what's happening, the sound wave is traveling to the wall, it's stopping and reflecting. So the velocity at the wall is zero. So to get to, for your velocity trap to work, you want to be actually a little bit away from the wall. So the corners are nice because you're bridging a panel across two corners, you get an uh, intrinsic gap there between the back of the panel and the corner. So those uh, putting treatment in corners gets you uh, lower into the frequency spectrum. So you can absorb frequencies that are a bit lower and it helps mm -hmm. the response, although it's not going to solve any of your standing room mode problems as I learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love, um, I mean, the corner treatment is like, it's awesome because it's basically unused space in my studio anyways. Like right. I'm not going to get right. into the corner to do anything. And so it's, it's kind of nice to fill up that space anyways because it kind of makes the room feel cozier. So I'm not like losing anything by putting panels there. It's basically free tr free treatment besides the price I paid for the panels. <laughs> yes, but it also looks cool. Like Exactly. You know, just those the corner corner the big thing in the corner and you could give it a cool design. It just looks nice uh for um for a studio so yeah that's the next thing and then of course if you if you can do it getting the uh ceiling to wall corners so hanging panels across the ceiling to wall corners is going to be even better for your base response that would be I like did the, not do that it would be like the corner reasons right back there yes yeah where the where a wall meets the ceiling mm -hmm. again all corners are are the same have, are going to have the same impact it's a little bit tricky to hang stuff up there, and I didn't really want to go through the trouble for a number of reasons. So I didn't. I stopped at the um, at the corner panels, but it is another option. Um, okay, so now that you have your acoustic acoustic treatment plan, and by the way, you can buy panels; they're a little bit pricey. You can DIY build them. I bought Yesco's Build a Better Bass Trap course. I was very happy with it. So all the panels you see in my room are, are from that course. Um, but I will also tell you that I bought these these black panels in the corners mm -hmm. were actually from, I added them after the fact. They were from a DIY kit I bought from a company called Acoustimac, mm. A-C-O-U-S-T-I-C-M-A-C, Acoustimac. They, ha they sell these DIY kits where they send you basically like um, a uh, plywood frame and they send you the rock wool insulation and then a um, fabric to wrap it and you you assemble it all yourself the the price per panel was very similar to what my price per panel was buying all this material myself really and assembling it so i will have to check that out yeah 
it was it was it was i mean okay i'll with a caveat so these these those panels are four inches thick and the panels i i built are six so my cloud and all these panels behind me so it's not quite an apples to apples comparison but um it's less work definitely so just another thing to to consider i'm actually i wasn't super thrilled with with the company as a service but um Hmm. that's good to know Take that for for what it's worth. I think the the best option, the panels I built myself through Esco's course are going to last forever. They're super solid. They look great, and I'm happy with them. But it took a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. So if you have the time. Yeah, if you have the time. All right. Next thing I'll say. This is an optional step, but I like to test the room. It is a free software called Room EQ Wizard, which is. Not only is it free, it's also like the industry standard for for testing rooms. It's a really powerful software. I sh- you know, it's it, you can get it for free, but I, I do recommend you you donate a couple bucks to the the, the <laughs> developers because they they're making a really wonderful product for us to use. Um, and I'm so so what this software does is it allows you to set up a microphone in your listening position, and then it'll play sine sweep from twenty hertz up to twenty thousand hertz. And it measures the response of the room. So it says, okay, I'm sending, I know what I'm sending out of the software and I'm getting back what the microphone is picking up. And then it can compare those two things and it can show you how your room is coloring what you're hearing. And there's an interesting thing that happens here. If you look around online, nobody is posting what their room looks like because everybody's room is going to look like trash (laughs) for the most part. Even well-treated rooms. That's very interesting. So I will show you what my room looks like. So there you go. I'm going to show you right now, Ben. This is, um, let's see if I can get this to work here. Okay. Can you see this? Yes. Oh, the horror. (laughs) The horror, yes. That is not very ideal, especially the big dip at 200 hertz. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's not ideal. And I, and I, um, you see two curves here. One is for my yeah. left speaker. One is for my right speaker. And uh, yeah, you can see that this is frequency on the x-axis. So I'm going down from you know zero hertz up to twenty thousand hertz, and this is what my room is is doing. So there's a couple of things here that are problematic that I I, I am fighting. So one is this big dip at seventy hertz. Yeah. Right? So right in that kind of kick drum area, and I can hear that. Uh, I can hear that um, in my listening spot as opposed to when I'm back farther in the room. Um, when I'm back farther in the room, I hear like a really thumpy kick. When I'm in my listening spot, it's a little bit weaker than I would like. Right? Then, yeah, I have this 200, but uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about that. I'll explain why. And then the other thing that I'm struggling with or was struggling with is this. And this, I'm, I have, I think, one-sixth octave smoothing on this. But anytime you see this kind of up and down thing. Comb, comb filtering thing. Comb filtering, yes. And this was really bugging me because this is, you know, between like two kilohertz and, and up. This is really guitar range. And what I was finding was when I would listen to like, when I was listening to a hip-hop song, my listening spot sounded pretty good if I could like account for this 70 hertz dip. I was pretty happy. But I would put on like a heavy guitar track and the guitars just sounded wrong. Comb mm. filtering, if it's just it's hard to describe, but there's holes in the frequency spectrum. 
the guitars just don't sound right. They sound like a, not quite muffled. They're just qu- not quite there. Mm-hmm. And this is was a, a big concern. I actually spoke to Yesco about this um, last week, and he suggested that it might be because of reflections off of my desk. Interesting. Okay, so he's saying based on this frequency uh, range, he's saying it looks like you know it could be a desk reflection. So he suggested that I repeat the test by putting some panels uh, on top of my desk or like pillows or blankets or whatever and repeat this test and see if this comb filtering gets better. So I still need to uh, to do that. So yeah, so what do you do about these things? Um, so so the question I always had when I when I was testing my old room and I was testing this room, how good is good enough? Like you get these mm-hmm. measurements, even in a well-treated room, they don't look great necessarily. So how good is good enough? And again, this is tough. Nobody really wants to to commit to an answer here. Um, but I will tell you just from my experience, my old room, if you're if you're plus or minus, if your your oscillations are plus or minus six dB, that is an excellent sounding room. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's about for a home studio, I think that's about as good as you can expect. If you're like plus or minus three, that's like top tier professional <laughs> yeah. studio. Yeah. My mine's so, actually not too bad. I I'm looking at my um not Rumi Q Wizard, but I'm looking at Sonar Works and to see the reference there. It gets a little heavy a, around one twenty and lower. I have some big oscillations that are like plus minus six or nine decibels. But above that, like it's above three hundred, it's pretty tight. So I've done I've done a good job so- trading here. Yeah, the the thing Sonarworks is another thing we'll we'll talk about. Um, Sonarworks is a bit of a different type of measurement. Oh, um, interesting. In I fact, yeah, we, we can just talk about it. Well, the, here's the reason why. So when we're when I'm the, the the measurement I just put up in Rumi Q Wizard is the microphone in my listening position. That is the response at my listening position, such as the software measured it. When you're doing the the Sonarworks, what Sonarworks is, first of all, it's a, it's a software that you run on your computer that can apply an equalization curve to your output to kind of negate what the room is doing. But when you set up for that measurement, if you remember, Ben, it's like 36 points they make you measure. Yeah. So you're moving the microphone to within You're getting you know, more a meter. of the response in your room in like a, a large circular center position than yes, you are just it's from the one average point. of like a me a one meter radius. They take the average of that and they give you a smooth curve for that. So like I mean I'll That's show you true. actually since since you brought it up, I'll show you what my my sonar works looks like as well. The sonar works looks a lot uh smoother, but it's because the average doesn't uh I don't get that same uh bounce in the that comb filtering doesn't really show up on my sonar works. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very true. Right? Because, yeah, because I don't get the desk reflections in that whole one meter radius. So this is what my sonar works looked like. And the only thing, you know, this looks pretty good, except for this this low end, which basically the sonar works has to really boost that low end. And I wish it didn't have to, but yeah. Uh, so that's about, yeah, that's about nine or 10 dB right there that it's got to boost. It yeah, I mean the rest of your room above a hundred hertz looks great. It just sucks that like your your room is literally sucking the low end out of your listening position. It is, and well, what really sucks about it is that in order for my speakers to make up for that, 
basically they my speakers have to work a lot harder because yeah. Sonarworks is 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 making a big boost and so my my woofers are having to work, you know, 10 dB harder than they really feel they should <laughs> have to work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's stressful on the speakers I assume, but honestly where I am now with the back reflection treated with the Sonarworks running, I'm almost where I need to be. Like my my guitar, if I could solve that little bit of comb filtering, I'll be uh, I think I'll be in great shape. I could record and mix in a room without any acoustic treatment. But the difference to me is that peace of mind and the confidence to know what you're listening to is actually what you're listening to and just having the confidence to say, yeah, that's that's a great sound. And right. versus if I didn't have any acoustic treatment or um, Sonarworks reference running, I would second guess and say, I think that sounds good, but let me go listen to my car. Let me listen on my earbuds. Let me listen in the kitchen. <laughs> All those different things. And that's the that was the biggest difference for me is just the the confidence thing. Yeah, absolutely. It is nice to have that confidence. And that's what I was I was gonna say. So for for other other notes on how good is good enough, in mm. my old room, which which I was in that plus minus six dB area, what I noticed once I was that dialed in was that when I put on my open-ear headphones with Sonarworks running, because Sonarworks can also do correction curves for headphones. So um, with Sonarworks running, what I was hearing in my open-back headphones was nearly identical to what I was hearing in the room with Sonarworks running on the on the speakers. Interesting. And that's when I knew. I was like, okay, now I have two reference points which sound nearly identical to me. I can trust my room, um, my room response. So that was another thing. Uh, I also will say like there's a time domain component to this. So with Room EQ Wizard, you can also get, it'll also tell you how different frequencies decay. So for example, if you've been in an untreated room and you snap your fingers, you can hear like a little bit of reverberation from that finger snap. Well, that's happening at all the frequencies. So Room EQ Wizard will also tell you how much reverberation time, sometimes mm. it's called an R60, uh, do you have so how much time does it take for a frequency to drop like 60 decibels right? right and you'll hear different numbers here for a recording room um i think like 300 milliseconds or lower is a really tight sounding room like that's where my room is right now it's very tight and i love that i love having like a tight bass that doesn't reverberate a lot and uh that time domain stuff becomes really important so that's something else you can look for by by measuring your room. And ultimately, the real test is just how do your mixes translate? Yeah. When a mix sounds good in your room, and then you take it out to the car, you take it out into the living room, if it still sounds good, awesome. Then you have a room you can trust. As long as you can trust your room and it's enjoyable to work in, you're in good shape. Totally agree with that. That's the biggest, absolutely the most important thing. <laughs> right. So I will talk, Ben, you and I were talking about this. You made a recommendation for me. Uh, there's a speaker isolation mm. or decoupling, speaker decoupling. So this is where your speakers, like my speakers are up on these racks. And I don't want the racks to vibrate together with the speakers because then the desk is acting like a, uh, it, it's first, it, it this the desk itself could act like an acoustical um, device like a speaker almost where it's vibrating in resonance with certain frequencies uh, so there's it's just an undesirable effect so there's different 
products you can buy. Ben, mm-hmm. you recommended this product called Sorbethane to me, mm-hmm. which are these little pads, little uh, hemispherical pads. And I did because my I used to have these uh, speaker stands from ISO Acoustics, but they were about uh, three inches, yeah, about three inches high, mm-hmm. and that was too high. My tweeters were too far above my ears, so I needed to go lower. So I bought these little Sorbethane pucks, and I will tell you that they're not as good as the ISO acoustic stands, but they still do what I would consider an acceptable job. Mm. And it kind of makes sense. I was thinking about this. Um, you ever try to like balance a hockey stick or a broom like on the palm of your hand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's easier to do with a longer object than it is with a shorter object, right? Right. So, And the reason is because like a longer object with, with more weight away from that pivot point, you actually have like more inertia. So I think having your speakers higher up and they're so heavy is actually a better result than having them close, so close to the desk. But I will say that I'm like, I'm okay with, with, with the decoupling effect here, but it is something to consider. You could buy little pads that go underneath them, but these Sorbethane things are not that expensive and they're, they're pretty cool. There's, so uh, almost thanks for the recommendation. Cheap. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And it's cool to hear somebody that has used both because I've not ever... I've not talked to anybody that's tried both to see like what works better. So it's interesting to hear you say you think that you like the isoacoustic pads better. They weren't pads. They're actually like a little. They're like a. Uh, there's like a, a bottom stand, and then there's these little rubber grommets with a post oh, sticking into the grommet. I know. And then okay. there's another stand on top, and then okay. the speaker sits on top of that stand. So there's quite a bit of isolation going on there, which. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I would I would expect those to work really good. I thought you were talking about the the foam pad things. Oh, the foam pad things. Yeah, those. I'm very skeptical. I've used those in far. years, and I'm very skeptical yeah. of those working very well. I'm sure they work a little bit, but yeah. Okay, that's good to know, though. Yeah, no, it is. It, it it's good to know and those those good. Uh, thanks for the the tip there, because I'm yeah. happy with with what I got. I also, I did have to tilt my speakers a little bit. So what I did was I just cut little uh, half inch uh, like wooden dowels basically mm. to prop under the back feet, the back sorbethane pads so that my speakers can tilt down just a little again to get that line of sight from my tweeters to my to my ears. Um, okay, so the next thing, like once, once that was all set up, my thing is like I, the only thing I'm acoustic recordings i was thinking about where i would do them like where would i record vocals and so i'm not going to talk at length about this but i think i find that um recording vocals in a corner facing out is a is is a good option like for me i'll probably i haven't done it yet in this space but i'll probably record vocals like in that corner there because with the speaker, uh, with the singer looking out into the room there's a lot of treatment in the room that their voice will bounce off of and the microphone is, um, you know, a cardioid polar pattern, and they'll have kind of all this treatment uh, behind them. These the the little art panels and that corner panel. So I think that's going to be a nice option for recording vocals for me. Um, but that is something I've been kind of thinking about. You got any rules of thumb for your room for acoustic recordings? So I have a portable vocal booth set up in the corner in the other room, mm, along that's right. with. What I originally bought to be an art panel that would go on my back wall, but I found it was 
better suited to just sit on top of it as kind of a cloud because oh yeah i've seen a picture of that yeah that's cool yeah so that's great because you're basically getting your like for uh, the first reflection point above the singer you're basically kind of capturing with that or above the microphone anyway exactly i think if i were to improve that in the future i would either build or buy a gobo that i could put behind them but right now i'm kind of banking on and maybe this is maybe this is bad logic on my part but I'm banking on like I'm treating everything that's like a close reflection and I'm hoping that all the stuff behind them is just diffusing and not going to affect my like the the sound going into the microphone as much. Obviously it doesn't Yeah, you got to play bit. with that. You got to play with that for sure cuz it this is kind of counterintuitive. I I think I don't think there's a right answer here, but with the microphone, the cardioid polar pattern being sensitive to the things that it's the microphone is looking at. Yes. So does it make sense to have the treatment behind it so that's so that things aren't reflecting back into the microphone or the treatment behind the microphone so that you're capturing stuff right as it's coming out of the speaker's mouth? I've tried yeah. it both ways, and depending on the room, sometimes one works better than the other, so you just got to play around with that. But if you're using an SM7B that's more directional and very sensitive, you have to worry about that even less. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's pretty much it. I mean, the last thing I'll mention is ergonomics because I do have an ergonomics Mm. issue I created for myself that I didn't realize. Um, I got a little greedy with my my desktop racks. (laughs) They look awesome. Thank you. Yeah, they're they're very cool. This is a custom desk that I, I designed together with my friend who's a furniture builder, and he built it for me. So these racks are, this is a six slots. So I got one, two, three, four, five, six slots, and you can see that two of them are actually empty. You've got room to grow. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what my thought was I'd have room to grow. But what actually I found was that they're a little bit high, and because of how high they are, my visual monitor is high and so i find it's fine for a few hours but after a while i'm ever so slightly looking up Mm. with my eyes and my neck and like after a while that becomes fatiguing to me so i'm actually thinking about maybe in the future sizing back down to a four u and in fact if you're thinking about desktop racks i would recommend not going higher than four slots if possible, and getting a more comfortable neck position. Um, that's really my only complaint ergonomically. Everything else I'm really happy with right now. I think um, four I makes... I think you have a similar thing going on, right, with your speaker yeah. height? Yeah. I think four makes a lot of sense because right now my desk height is kind of perfect for where I would put my hands on a mouse. And what I have my visual monitors sitting on right now is just a four unit uh ata like rack case and that's what i have my i actually have three interfaces in there and uh a Furman power conditioner and so the monitors are sitting right on top of that and it's about perfect for being like right in the middle eyesight wise okay okay so that does make yeah i also went with instead of going with two monitors i went with one really big monitor and I, I am, I'm happy with that decision. But again, just when stuff's at the top of that monitor and I'm just looking up at it, eventually my eyes and my neck get, get a little bit tired. So that's uh, just some cautionary wisdom. Uh, the other thing I'll say is 
on my chair regarding a chair i pre- strongly prefer a chair with no armrests yes because i Me find too. With ar- <laughs> yeah you too yeah because okay. i'm playing i'm normally playing guitar in them and bass and it's so annoying to have armrest that's one thing but also i find that with armrests inevitably they're just choking up your shoulders yeah and i just want my my shoulders hanging really loose and just being able to yeah whether i'm playing the keyboard or uh, typing or using my mouse um, i want my shoulders to be nice and relaxed so ergonomics is a big thing you know we we love this craft and we spend a lot of time sitting here working out ideas and so we want to be comfortable doing it yep all right my man well that's my that's my thing so my, my next steps for my room are to do some of this additional testing to figure out if my desk reflections are causing a problem but ultimately with my sonar work setup right now i am reasonably happy and reasonably comfortable doing work in here and um it's an exciting step to be completed yeah, with to have a room that that you're comfortable in is uh is a very good feeling it's a nice personal space and um yeah anything anything to add um i don't think so i think it's awesome that we've both kind of like diy'd our rooms and made them work for us and turned them into i I know at least for me and i hope the same is true for you but it's a more ideal spot to do music than i ever thought was possible and just a house that was never made for that purpose so it's very cool to transform very few houses are right (laughs) yeah very very much so so i think the the big takeaway home from this is that you know when i first thought about getting into audio i was really intimidated by even the studios that i've been inside myself and saying oh man like how can i take myself seriously if i don't have a you know a five uh five figure six figure designed room to do this in and the answer is you know well you don't need that like you can make do with a lot less with some you know ingenuity and and some good old-fashioned DIY <laughs> blood sweat and tears blood sweat and tears and also just just spending time and listening to music in the room uh, I've as as we all have I'm sure you develop your playlist of songs that you uh, like to put on usually that's you know the one of the first things yeah. I'll do in a new space is put on this this playlist or some couple of songs that I know really well and just listen to it. And over time, you get used to the room. And even without being able to articulate, oh, there's a 70 hertz drop, you just know, oh, I have to boost my kick drum a little bit more uh, or a little bit less because my room is coloring the sound a little bit. So just by spending a lot of time in the in the place, listening to music, you will start to calibrate without even rec- realizing it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, hope this was helpful to you guys. Maybe you can take some things away from this on your current rooms and make some slight improvements or if you're thinking about a new space hopefully this gives you some groundwork again check the show notes for links to everything that we discussed and we look forward to the next episode of the diy recording guys and continuing this journey so thanks for listening yeah remember to check yourself before you wreck yourself all right guys good one If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. 
So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.